Hi everyone, welcome back to On Track, Off Course, the brand new podcast from Racing Welfare. We hope you enjoyed last week's episode. This week we're going to be focusing on physical health and we're talking to former classic winning jockey George Baker, who'll be talking about his career ending injury and the impact that that's had on the rest of his life. We'll also hear from trainer Katie Scott on the support she received from Racing's Occupational Health Service. And we'll be getting some expert advice from Ross Hollenworth, who's the lead physio at the IJF Sir Peter O'Sullivan House in Newmarket. I'm really looking forward to today's episode. What about you, Tina? Yeah, this is a really important topic for racing welfare, physical health, because 40% of what racing welfare do is around physical health and it impacts all aspects of well-being. So it's going to be really interesting to hear from George Baker about his injury and also from Physio Ross as well about, you know, all the with all the top tips on what we can do to look after our physical health, especially at the moment through COVID. And talking of well-being, Tina, can you give me one thing that you've struggled with over the last week and maybe one thing that's gone really well or has helped you with your physical or mental health? Well, that's an easy one, Lauren, because I fell downstairs and broke my leg. This is a bit like method acting, isn't it? I'm method podcasting, (laughs) if that's a thing. So, yeah, I broke my leg falling downstairs in the dark. So that's been quite challenging. And I think not being able to do any exercise. This morning, I put my racing welfare gilet on and I was struggling to get it past a certain point. (laughs) And you're blaming that on the broken leg. (laughs) Yeah, that's my excuse. Okay. What I'm trying to do for my well-being to be positive is is to try and eat a bit more healthfully now. Yeah. Get away with all the takeaways. And how about you? What have you done for your well-being? I think, as always, um, my main struggle over the last week has been the never-ending challenge of the work-life balance between everything that's going on which is just a perpetual struggle in my life three three young boys yeah and with kids and jobs and families and even without kids it's just that trying to balance everything is a trick that I have not mastered yet but I have this week rediscovered the joy of driving alone in my car and singing along at the top (laughs) of my voice to my favorite songs um and you're such a middle-aged woman (laughs) I know it's so embarrassing but it's so true it just that time on my own and I think just singing along and forgetting about everything else and just enjoying that moment yeah it's all about those little things isn't it yeah that you can enjoy especially when you're so hectic with family and work absolutely but enough about us um we're going to hear from George Baker today yeah this is a really emotive episode isn't it yeah Um, and George has spoken so honestly and so candidly and it's really really interesting so we hope you all enjoy it yeah let's dive in So joining us now is Group 1 Classic and Royal Ascot winning jockey George Baker. Um, Since being forced to retire, George has branched out into television presenting amongst many other things. Hi George, thanks for joining us. I feel like I've written that myself. (laughs) (laughs) That was very very nicely put. (laughs) But you're actually involved in a few other things. Can you tell us a bit about the other roles in racing that you're getting involved in now? So I... um work for racing tv as a, as a pundit on track which has been really good 
Um, I do probably part-time work for Ed Walker as help with the race planning and um, able to go on there um, sort of three three mornings a week for work, which I really enjoy being in the yard environment because I've missed that since I was out the loop as such since I had my fall. And um, I just qualified today, um, hence the reason why I'm for Newmarket. I've just qualified as a jockey coach. Congratulations. So, George, uh, when everyone speaks about you and we say we're interviewing George Baker and when you talked about... Um, you're very universally well-liked and that's quite an achievement in the weighing room. What is it about you as a person that you think, um, you know, is the reason for that? Is it is it your approach to life? Is it your sense of humour? Were you a confidant to the other jockeys? So I'll tell you what one of my best friends thinks. The reason why people like me is because I'm so ugly. So it gives, <laughs> so it, so it gives everyone confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but I'll leave you to it. That's very <laughs> self-deprecating. I'm sure that's not true. Is he a jockey? Um, no, he's not a jockey, actually. Um, but he, he thinks it's just because I'm not blessed with looks that people warm to me naturally. But I suppose I've got, I'm quite light-hearted. Well, when I was in the wedding room, I was quite light-hearted. And um, people were aware that I obviously struggled with my weight a lot when I was riding. And... Um, I was always seemed to be in good form, but I put up a very good front, I think. Going out with the lads and having the crack and such. But once I got into a better routine with it, I and I got more consistent then and I was I felt like I operated at a sort of better level. But when you're still running around thinking you're one of life's I don't know what the word is, but Playboy. Think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you when you're thinking you're a playboy, um it's it's not really a good Obviously, you go through different stages in your life as you're growing up. Um, but my Playboy stage wasn't where my weight was at its best, by any means. Do you still focus on nutrition now, now you're retired? Is it? <laughs> I promise you, I just get up every morning and the first thing that comes into my head is going, I can run downstairs and have breakfast. I just love food. I eat all the time. I'm very happy. I'm fat and happy. You were pretty much at the height of your career, having won your first classic and sort of within five months, you'd had a career-ending injury. Can you just talk a little bit about that accident and the road back? Yeah, so um, it's a funny... I remember the sort of when it came around for me... To, I went to Sam Moritz to ride um, for Jamie Osborne, who's got an ownership group called the Melbourne 10, which is fronted by um, a really nice guy called Ian Barrett. And they go. They used to go to Samaritz every year and have a, have a jolly, really, and um, take a, a load of horse over there. And I just, um, Nicola and myself had just had our first child and I hadn't really been out much. And Jamie Osborne <laughs> rung me and said, do you want to come to Sam Ritz, um <laughs> next weekend? Adam Kirby can't go now. And you were And I was like, oh, I'll do, any, airport, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do anything for a night out. And oh, that's, yeah, what, that's, what, that feeling. <laughs> that, that's why I went to Sam Ritz. So, and um, obviously I had a really bad fall over there. I can laugh about it now at the time. It's, it's taken a while to get to this point, but... Um, yeah, so I, and I had a really bad head injury over there, um, and it was it was a a character building journey, shall we say, after after that. Because you had to learn to walk again, didn't you? And and your vision was affected, and there was a lot to deal with physically and mentally. Yeah, so I I as you say, I had to learn to walk again. I was a theoretically a thirty four year old baby um, who did some very strange things in hospital. Um, and put a lot of pressure on people closest to me, so it was a, it was a very strange um, time for my family. I'm really lucky because I don't remember anything about it. 
I've been I've been informed, but I was in a thing yeah. called um, post-traumatic amnesia for four weeks, where anything that came into my head came out of my mouth, and that is not a good. <laughs> that is not good when you don't have a filter and you've got attractive nurses washing you and stuff like that. It's just not. It's not. Some of the stories I've heard back about it are quite painful. <laughs> that was to listen quite to. character building for your wife as yeah, well. It was, especially like when that. she was sat in the room and I was saying, "Oh, it's just not." <laughs> it's very. I can laugh about it now, which is good. Yeah. But um, you, so you don't remember any of that. You you don't actually remember what you were saying at all. No, I don't remember any of it. And um, I was, I was in Samaritz for sort of eight days after the accident. I was flown back in a um, medical jet to London. I think it was like a, 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 not a special airport, but it was a military airport. And I went to the Wellington Hospital, which the Indian Jockeys Fund and Jerry Hill organised for me to go there. And I received the best care for three. I was in the most wonderful hospital. Um, I used to call it the hotel because it was just. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how good they were there. They completely rebuilt me, um, and prepared me to be let home and such. You were very dedicated, and in sort of looking back at your rides when you were a jockey and analysing what you could do better, what you could do to improve your riding, what you could do to improve your horse. Did you put that um, kind of problem-solving attitude into rebuilding your physical health? Yeah, I think I did. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very driven person, and I suppose when you've been—I um, I know it sounds a str- I always find it weird to call myself a top-class athlete, but I suppose that's what you are as a jockey. Absolutely. Um, I was very driven doing that, and I, I completely um, embraced the whole process of getting better um, with one ultimate goal and early doors. It, uh, luckily, they never really told me that it probably wasn't going to be, it w- well, it was never achievable for me to come back race riding, but that's all I did it for. I wanted to prove everyone wrong and say I could come back and race ride again. Mm. Um, it became apparent to me when I came home from hospital that that, that wasn't going to be, but early doors, that aided me so much because it, I had a, an end goal to aim to come back for. And no matter... Even, to be fair, if I'd been told that it wasn't possible, I wouldn't have believed it. I was just a numbhead and very driven with, with with that end goal. But I suppose further down the line, it became quite apparent that that wasn't going to happen when I when I, my balance was so bad and I was physically um, a different person than I once was. So, how did you take being told? Because that's almost like a second knockback, isn't it? To try and come back riding and then be told actually because you had a because of your head injury, if you had another bang to your head, it could have been quite serious. How did you take that when you were told that you couldn't race ride again? Well, it never entered my mind at any stage that it was not going to be possible for me to come back. And I suppose I had um, a few examples of people that had had poor head injuries and had come back. But it was a different, it, it, it's hard thing to get into but I could not sustain another blow to head. So that's irrelevant at the time. I watched a thing called The Crash Reel, um, which is a documentary on a snowboarder called Kevin Pierce, who was a, a, the best in the world. And he had a very, very bad head injury. And Nathan Horrocks, who's a friend of mine and my, my wife's, told Nicola when I was still in hospital to make sure that when it, they thought it was right, it would be a good thing for me to watch because it was a similar sort of setup and mm-hmm. I remember I watched that um, at home and when Nicola said to me, why don't you watch this thing called The Crash Reel? I was like, oh, well, 
didn't really think anything of it. And then uh, as as the program went on, I could see myself in the same mm-hmm. sort of, you know, all the pressure I put my family and a different person and the belief that I was as, as, as I was before. And I started to cry and it was quite weird. I'm not someone that cries very much anyway. Um, and it really hit home. And I, I just accepted it myself watching that one program. And I, I went and saw um, our doctor, Jerry Hill, who's a BHA doctor, and I knew what was coming. Um, and I got really, again, I can't believe I'm admitting to crying, but I was crying in the car, I was going to Lambourne, Nicola was driving, I wasn't driving at the time. And I got really emotional. I said, I, you know, I'm going to hear the news today that this is, this is the end. You know, mm. me as a Georgia jockey's over. And um, I, I got, I started to get upset in the car and I opened the glove compartment of the car, there's banana there and I said, oh, I love banana, it make feel better. So, and, I, oh. and, and then Nicola just nearly crashed the car, she was laughing that much. So it's um, <laughs> it quite a funny story, but that realisation that it was over, it, it, I'm glad I realised it myself before I was told. And have you had support with dealing with the mental health side of things since your life has changed so much? Yeah, so I obviously I've done a few things. I I wrote a book, The Racing Post. Um, obviously knew about the story and wanted to do a book about it, which I found a very. It's nice to put it down on paper and read it's it back. Quite and, cathartic. Yeah, exactly. And I'll never forget. I spoke to Mick Fitzgerald, who I'm become very friendly with um, later in life, and he said he had a similar experience where he had to stop race riding because of a fall. And he said the great thing is with doing the book that's a book ending, that part of your life, it's done and you can move on to the next part. And I found that was very much the case with it. Um, there's a guy down in Winchester who works for um, a head injury um, place that the Injured Jockeys Fund used and they've got a unit at Oxy House called Hobbs Rehabilitation and they they helped me sort of prepare myself for life out of hospital and you know, making cups of tea, mm. things you think are just so simple, but when you're not in control of your body as you once were, you have to learn to do again, eat properly, all those little things. Um, so they've helped me a lot. And Ben Paps, who's the psychologist, I think he helped more than anyone because I'd go down there twice a week at one stage and I could, it was a neutral view and I talked to him about a lot of weird thoughts I had. Um going forward and I, I, I had some really strange thoughts go through my mind when mm. I was dealing with I'm not the person that I once was mm. um, I had a really weird um, uh, I don't think I've, I've, Nicola knows about this so I was at Royal Ascot um, once I once I got back on my feet and I was in um, one of my friend's boxes called Bjorn Nilsson and I was, it's like the first level and I just thought to myself I wonder if I could jump off this balcony and it's like a really weird yeah. and I, I wasn't thinking oh I'm going to try and kill myself mm. um, and it was a, you know when you just think stuff, why am I thinking that it's just that's not normal I've never thought like stuff like that ever mm. and I uh, went down to see Ben Paps that, the, the following week and he said it's just your brain playing games with you tricks but unless someone tells you that you and I really trusted him at the time yeah um, and it was okay and I got over it and, and back to normality now but it was a strange part because when you're rebuilding yourself, it's definitely a, a strange journey and it's important to get the right help because mm. I would never burden my family saying that 
that I thought that because I didn't want them to think what, what what's wrong with them. So it's a strange. Do you feel that would be a burden though, because you and Nicola are obviously really close from from what you've talked about. What I didn't want to do was worry her. Mm. Mm. Um, and at the time, I, when I look back, I was not. I thought I was back to normal. I wasn't. You you sort of kid yourself. Yeah, I'm fine. Blah de blah. But I, I wasn't back. And there's been a lot of processes and and goal. You know, you reach goals, getting back to normality. You know, the big the biggest one for me was back driving. I felt like I was let free again um, yeah, that was quite a hard thing but all those little things and that's why you know with um i think when you talk to people you've got a you've got the one thing with me was i wanted to get better mm-hmm. i knew that i wasn't right so i'm um, talking to ben paps who guided me so much and made me realize that i wasn't a nut job that it was normal to be thinking these things were so important so mm-hmm. he was a just a, such a calm influence and he made me feel normal again which is um I know it sounds strange but when you're sort of I was not I wasn't lost but I didn't really know what I was going to do again and I was obviously we're well looked after being jockeys you get um insurance money and so on so at the time but then you're thinking I've got to get a job at some stage what am I going to do and you kind of miss that team mentality because when you're riding you might ride for five or di- six different yards that you're closely attached to and you feel part of the team and when mm-hmm. when that stops that all right the phone rings a little bit and everyone's very friendly still, but it's not the same as yeah. you feel like you've got a purpose. There was a long period of time where I didn't know what I was going to do. And, you know, I've got, a, at the time I had a young family. Bella was, I don't know, uh, three months old when I had my fall. So what, you know, what are you going to do? All right, you you get your press money and so on for X amount of time, but at some stage you're going to have to, you've got a mortgage to pay for, you've got things to, mm. to do. So you kind of, I felt at t- times... I was a little bit lost in the respect of like I'm okay at the moment but at some stage I'm gonna have to get a job and I'm gonna have to drive and what's possible you just don't know the lads in the way have been amazing I, mm. I promise you they've I see them on track all the time I'm doing the TV now and everyone's very friendly I've got some fantastic friends and I used they're, they're not just work colleagues they are proper friends now and um yeah do you, do you think every, you've been on such I hate this sort of saying everyone's been on a journey, but you I mean you genuinely have had, it's an incredible story. Has it given you an appreciation of things in life outside of being a jockey and just things that you're grateful for that don't revolve around horses? And yeah, of course. I think um, my family, you yeah. know, I've, I've, you take them for granted. They're always there. And um, they're always there. That sounds so bad, but um, <laughs> that I really appreciate everything they've done for me. And when 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 things were bad and I wasn't very well, some of my couple of my mates who I knew were proper good mates really stepped to the plate and helped my wife out when it was you know you've got a three month old daughter. Yeah. She's having to drive to London every day to come and see me. Um, and at the time we can laugh about it now, but she didn't know what was gonna what the outcome was mm. gonna be. Uh, is it, is a husband going to ever be a normal person again? It didn't, it didn't look obvious. And they told Nicola um, to try and organise me to go back to a bungalow because I won't be able to use stairs and all little things like that. You know, and, and I'm sure it, it, she must have been petrified. And, and I, I, some of my mates were unbelievable. I can't tell you. I've, so Dominic Ellsworth and Drew Cooney were two, named two. Dominic used to ride and... Mm. Um, 
when he moved down south, he was based up north for a long time. I became very friendly with him, and he's just a top man. And Drew Cooney, who was Sam Hitchcock's best mate at um, school, and I don't know how I got to know him, but I got to know him. He used to come and visit me like once or twice a week in hospital, and he used to get the train up to London, and um, so Nicola could have a day off, not not looking after me as such, yeah. spend the day with our daughter. I mean, things like that. It just beyond the call of duty, really, and mm. to some, have that support system. Yeah, and yes. and that is when, you know, everyone's been so kind through the thing. But there was a couple of people that were really, really amazing. I read um, that Dominic Ellsworth said to you in the bigger scheme of things, riding a horse around a field isn't really that much of a big deal. No, it's um, <laughs> and it's, I suppose when you put it like that, it does put a bit of perspective exactly. on it. Exactly, <laughs> but when it's been when you've been so obsessed with it for such a long period of time. When they tell you something like that to start with, it doesn't really hit home. But now you look back at it, it it's true. Yeah, You've talked about humour a lot and laughing a lot. Has that really helped you through it? Because we were just saying that when you do go bad, through bad times, humour does help a lot. Yeah, I think you've got to be aware, and not everyone in the world is aware of this, that bad things happen to good people. And, um, and also good things happen to bad people. So it's... And I think you just got to be light-hearted about it, and also don't take yourself too seriously. And I'm lucky that I'm, I'm I've never really done that. I'm, I'm I'm a very driven person, but if things don't go right, I can. I think racing makes you like that. You accept defeat quite well because it's something that only happens. I don't know. Even if you're flying along twenty over just over twenty percent of the time, so yeah. you're you 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 analyse things and drop it and move on and I think that's still being good stead with with road to recovery but it's been I feel like I'm back to normal but I'm sure people will tell you that I'm still not back to normal but it's, <laughs> it's a work in progress and how are you physically now you're, you're able to play so sport as you, you guys tennis. as you guys know you it's know this fine physical specimen I'm a fine physical <laughs> specimen look at me I'm ripped I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not attracted to the eye but I'm ripped and um <laughs> So I was in training for the London Marathon. I was going to do it yeah, for Race so, and Welfare yeah, and yeah. the Indian Jockeys Fund. Unfortunately, I got called off. So I'm. make sure you tell the guys I'm definitely doing it in October next year for you. Fantastic. So that, I Thank think that, you. that was a proper good goal. and Really good. Um, when I mentioned it to my wife, she was like, you are off your rocker. I said, <laughs> well, even if I walk it, it's still an achievement, isn't it? Yeah. So, Has it made I, you more cautious at all? You know, the fact that if you do sustain a head injury again that it could be serious has it made you any more cautious i'm just um i don't know if it's made me more cautious i mean i probably should walk around wearing a helmet maybe i don't know but um, (laughs) i i obviously i don't ride now it's just not it's it's Mm. just not worth the risk i'm more sensible in the fact i don't really think about banging my head because if it happens it's hard luck i mean i'm not going to go skiing again probably and you just just do sensible but I'm, I'm definitely not the person I once was. I'll give an example. So when I get out of bed in the morning and get dressed, if I try and put my trousers on and stood up, it's not, it's not pretty. So you just sit on the bed and put your trousers on. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you just have to be sensible and... Adapting. Exactly, adapt. And um, there's no point in getting frustrated about it because it's the way it is and you just can't do anything about it. When you're sat on racing TV presenting, do you ever wish you were back riding? Does it ever bring back those thoughts or... Are you, have you come to peace with it? I do miss it. I, mean, I miss the routine of it. And, and I, I definitely miss being wanted. I know it sounds strange, but you know when you're when you're sort of a wanted person mm. and you've got your, you know... Well, you're an, an elite athlete. 
<laughs> I don't know. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a. I, I definitely miss that having a reason and, and and feeling like I've got a purpose in life. But it's, things change and. The jockey coaching um, could be something really rewarding for you going forward. Do you think? Yeah, no, definitely. And I got um, obviously financially, you make money out of it, which is great. But um, I've been helping Safi Osborne out, who's just starting out, and. To watch her improve in her riding going forward, it's a massive um, feel-good factor, and I'm very proud of what she's achieved. And I've had very little input into it, but I feel like I'm helping her um, sort of mould herself as a as a as a jockey, a young rider, and I really really enjoy it. A few more jockeys sweeping from the back, <laughs> taking their time. Yeah, no, it'd be good. I, I definitely have really enjoyed doing it, and long may it continue. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's very inspirational. And before you go, though, you have to do our quick fire five. So, question one: fill in the blank. I am happiest when I'm eating. Question two: again, fill in the blank. When I am feeling overwhelmed, I eat. <laughs> There's a theme coming here. Um, question three: My one top tip for looking after your well-being is speak to your friends. It's everything, um, and if you've got a good base of friends around you, it, well, I've, as I've experienced myself, it's it's everything. Yeah. Um, and question four: Can you give us something, a person, a book, a TV program that's inspired you recently? Mm, well. I'd, I'd just like everyone to watch Crash Real because it was such a big moment yeah. in my life and I loved it. I mean, I've, what have I watched? Um, yeah, no, the Crash Real. Yeah. yeah. And final question. Can you give us a horse to follow? Horse called Matthew Flinders. I think you'll be a very, really smart um, four-year-old going forward. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're joined now by dual purpose trainer Katie Scott. Katie's based up in Galashiels and has about 20 horses in training currently. Thanks very much for joining us, Katie. No problem at all. So, Katie, you've had quite a bit of support through Racing's Occupational Health Service. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you hurt yourself, your accident, and the support you've received? Yeah, of course. Um, I first dislocated my shoulder about 10 years ago and it's developed into a reoccurring injury that I was struggling with. Um, in my job, there's never really a good time to get things like this sorted, but I had to go and get surgery for it. So I kept pushing it off and then eventually this year decided that I would crack on and get it done. Um, with the current circumstances, the, the NHS, they're only really doing physiotherapy over the phone. So... I wasn't too keen on that considering you know that I want to get back to being active it's an active job that I do I want to give yeah. my injury every chance to heal after my operation and um, so I voiced my concerns to Lucy who works for Racing Welfare up in the north um, and she put me in touch with the right person um, and thanks to Racing Welfare I'm getting private physiotherapy now um, and they're helping fund it so that I don't have to worry about that at the moment. Would you say to anyone in that situation that perhaps making sure at an earlier stage you make that time to get the help that you need would have made a difference in the longer term? Yeah, I think it, it may be a slightly different thing when you're employed rather than self-employed. You know, for myself yeah. at the moment, I'm paying the wage I normally make to somebody else to try to keep the business going. Obviously at the moment, 
it's maybe not the best economical time for me to be off my work, but I made that decision and I've done it. Um, but luckily for me, I've got good staff behind me that have kept the yard going while I'm sort of stuck on two feet rather than four. How have you gone about coping with it? Yeah, I'm quite lucky, I suppose, that I can still go out and about the yard, potter about, watch the horses. Um, but, oh, it would drive you mad when you're used to being so active and busy and keeping busy and going to the races yourself and doing everything to, like, suddenly hand over so much responsibility and be so vulnerable. I find it really difficult and not driving is a big, a big miss as well. It's your one biggest independence, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. You know, even if you can't ride, being able to drive to the races and lead up and do stuff, whereas at the minute I am just absolutely no use to anybody. And like to learn, I'm probably not the best delegator, so I've been trying to delegate more. I probably rush on and do stuff myself a bit too often, so it's, it's be probably been quite good that way, teaching me to delegate a bit to the other staff. <laughs> Um, and Katie, after you initially spoke to Lucy, has the whole process um, of getting that help been straightforward through Racing Welfare? Yeah, they've been fantastic, like straight through, seamless. And I always feel like I've not just phoned Lucy about this, I've phoned her in the past and I always get the help that I need. And what would you say to anyone who is physically injured or, you know, it doesn't have to be a big injury, does it? It can be yeah. a little, little can, it can be a little niggle in your back or... Uh, racing welfare haven't just helped me this year like one of my staff members had a sore back and went through yourself um, it wasn't a specific injury like mine it was just a, a pain that was causing her a lot of trouble and I, they were just as supportive of her and helped her right the way through and got her back to work and, and I have to say they have been brilliant and I wouldn't put anyone off getting in touch I mean at the end of the day it's just a phone call to get the ball, ball rolling and then you've got a support system there Okay, so we're joined now by Ross Hollenworth, who's the lead physio at Peter O'Sullivan House, um, which is one of the IJF's rehab centres in Newmarket. Um, Ross is one of the physios that racing welfare, welfare officers would refer beneficiaries to. Thanks for joining us, Ross. Uh, pleasure, absolute pleasure. Thank you. Um, now, before we get into the, the main part of this, <laughs> My lovely friend Tina here at the weekend uh, managed to fall down the stairs and has broken her leg. <laughs> <laughs> she claims she wasn't drinking, but I'm not so sure. Thanks for the empathy, everyone. <laughs> um, have you got any top tips for Tina um, in this early stage of her injury? Uh, always drink in moderation. And, uh, and just clear and I, this I think, up now. I wasn't actually drinking. Okay. Um, and, and I think you know probably at this time it's it's important that that you know that we we get the message out there. I think it's important that we are continuing to use the NHS services, um, you know, the A and E and things like that appropriately. So I think although obviously there's a um, degree of concern about COVID, that you know in these sort of instances, and if you do have any significant health concerns whether that be that you've you, you know you fear that you've broken your leg or alternatively that you know you have a fear that you know your partner is, is having a heart attack or a stroke or something like that I think it's really important that we do still utilize um, the, the emergency services in the NHS rather than you know be too fearful of, of COVID so I think that's that's an important message to get across um, and then you know if you've if you've broken your leg then it's going to be a period of time um, 
uh, on crutches and things like that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to stop doing everything. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that we really focus on at the IGF is trying to work around any injury that you might have. So if you, you are a bit incapacitated and you're not able to walk around, then there's still no reason why you can't do a bit of upper body work, a bit of sort of core abdominal strengthening work, uh, and, you know, a bit of seated boxing and things like that. So there's still ways to work around an injury, but keep yourself fit and strong and, and healthy rather than thinking that you need to be on the couch for a number of weeks until the doctor says you can come out the cast. There's still loads that you can do. So I quite I like the sound really... of uh, seated boxing. <laughs> you know, yeah. What do you think? I know, yeah. I was going to say, I quite like being on the couch for a few days, but <laughs> I'm starting to get a bit bored now. And um, yeah, seated boxing sounds, sounds a good one. I'll have to use yeah. it. But I think that those sort of activities are really important because particularly if you're used to doing a good level of activity, then all of a sudden you stop doing something. Um, that can have quite a you know, significant impact on your sort of mental health and your mental well-being. And so finding ways to still get um, your heart rate up and to get that, that um, sort of endorphin release that you're used to getting from your normal activity, I think is really important. Ross, would you be able to give us some top tips for people that are in a physical job like stable staff for taking care of their physical health on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one, one of the most, most important things, I think, for um, people that have got a physical job and work in the stables is, is to make sure that they're getting enough time for the rest and recovery. So almost flipping around what I've been saying in terms of making sure that you get act, you know, active exercise during lockdown. Um, for those that are still be very active and doing their normal jobs, actually, it's really making sure that you do have that, that downtime uh, and that time to to get that rest and regeneration in um, and so sleep is, is sleep is so important in terms of allowing the body to recover from the stresses and the strains of the day allowing the mind to to recover so I think that that's one of the key things um, making sure that you keep yourself mobile and flexible um, we certainly see that with a lot of the the jockeys and the work riders that often there's there's areas of the body that get a bit tight you know, whether that be the quads or the hip flexors. And so making sure that you're keeping yourself supple and doing your flexibility work and your stretches and things like that. I think that's really important so that you get that balance in your muscles so that some muscles don't get too tight and too strong and, and some muscles get neglected and get a bit weak and, and a, bit, uh, a bit tight. And, and just eating well, eating well, making sure that you've got a good balanced diet is again, is really important for your recovery, keeping the muscles healthy and, you know, try and avoid excesses that we've spoken about the excessive drinking and smoking and things like that because you know that it does definitely have an impact on the body and its ability to be able to to recover and to heal so you know we just need to know she wasn't smoking but <laughs> i'm still not buying the drink what is the best form of physical activity you can do if you are desk based one of the most important things is to get up from the desk on a regular basis i think particularly if people are working from um a workstation that is not ideal uh, and certainly when people are at home typically they're on a laptop which is not set up perfectly sometimes they're on the kitchen table which is maybe isn't the right height maybe the seat isn't as good as what they're used to uh, at the office and so there's a number of um, factors at play that make working from home not ideal uh, you know you see people operating from their beds or their couches and things like that so they're really setting themselves up for some some quite nasty musculoskeletal. Yeah, Lauren likes working from her bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, touche. <laughs> um, 
so so I think I think trying to get your desk um, set up as, as good as you can is important, and then trying to get away from those positions on a regular basis. So as I say, if you if you've been sat down for half an hour, so it is good to to get up, walk around, make yourself a cup of tea, stretch the legs a little bit, hopefully get outside into the sunshine and have and have a bit of a have a bit of a walk. I think that's really important so that we don't get stuck in one position for too long. So if you if you are getting a little break at lunch, maybe it is jumping on the bike and having a quick 20 minute spin or it's getting out for a brisk walk in the sunshine. If you have someone um, coming to you with an injury, can you talk to us a bit about the importance of physio in getting you back to work, how that can help? Um, so physio is important, I think, for, for speeding up your recovery a little bit and getting you back to full fitness quicker. Um, and we spend a lot of time just making sure that the recovery is a complete recovery. And as I say, it's getting back to your previous levels of fitness, if not even better. Uh, and so if you do break your leg, for example, then yeah, the cast will come off and you will be able to get back to walking, you know, nearly all the time. But what we don't want you to be left with is any hangover from that, um, we don't want you to have muscle weakness. We don't want you to have loss of range, loss of function, loss of your ability to be able to return to sport. And that's really the key bit is, is, is making sure that you get your, your capacity for exercise back up to its previous level or, or if not better, so that when you do go back to those activities that you would normally be doing, whether that's playing tennis, playing football or, or working on the stables, is that you're ready to do that and you're not then going to have either a relapse of your injury and because you've not recovered fully or something else will, 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 um, will suffer as a consequence. Um, Ross, you spoke a little bit earlier on um, about how your physical health and your mental health are connected. Can you just talk to us a, a bit more about that, about how looking after your physical health can benefit your whole well-being? Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, we, we spend a lot of the time with the RGF thinking about people's mental health and mental well-being and we're, we're fortunate to, to link up with um, guys that change your minds um, and they've got a, a great team of people that we work with um, as psychologists that help support um, our jockeys and our beneficiaries in terms of their recovery so it is a really important part of, of what we do um, but it, it's not just the the realm of the psychologists it's this the realm of, of everybody that gets involved in somebody's rehabilitation to help support that individual in whatever way that they feel is appropriate so you know whether it be your physio or your snc or um the person on reception everybody has a role to play in just making sure that that person is is in a good headspace um and keeping them in a, in a good positive um, um mindset so that they, their recovery is 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 speedy and and hopefully uncomplicated um and certainly during these challenging times i think it's really important that we we get the exercise in. Um, as I say, it can just be a walk, walk with the dog. That's that's absolutely fine. But you know, I think people take a great deal of comfort from being able to get outside in the fresh air and a bit of sunshine on them, um, and doing the stuff that they enjoy doing, uh, and and finding yeah, whatever happiness they can do in that, and being grateful for the fact that we are able to do that. Thanks so much to all our guests on today's episode, um, especially to George Baker for talking so candidly about the impact of his injury on his mental health and also for showing us the importance of bringing a sense of humour to most situations if you can. 
he definitely did speak very honestly and um, it's interesting isn't it that he said that the mental health support was the most useful part mm. of all the support that he received yeah it's incredible when you think about the the severity of his injuries mm. that that's what helped him the most and a big thank you to Katie Scott and to Physio Ross from the IJF as well because it was interesting hearing from Katie about how frustrating it is and debilitating it is to have a physical injury and so when you're so dependent on everyone else if anybody has been affected by any of the issues that we've discussed today and if you work in racing or are retired from racing you can access 24-hour support through racing welfare by calling 0800 or you can visit our website at www.racingwelfare.co.uk and visit the advice pages yeah and i'll once again i'll put all that information into our show notes um so if you have enjoyed today's episode please hit subscribe and if you have any suggestions of guests you'd like to hear from on the podcast over the coming weeks you can email us at podcast at racingwelfare.co.uk next week we'll be talking to itv racing's francesca kamani about life in the public eye and what she does to look after her well-being and I'm really looking forward to chatting to Francesca. Um, In the meantime, I hope you all have a good week. Take care of yourselves and we'll see you next time.